Now, we'll just begin today's podcast by prefacing it uh, with a bit of an explanation as to who this guest is. If you're sitting out there in the tractor and you aren't familiar uh, with this woman's work, her name is Dasha Nekrasova. She is a Brooklyn, New York-based filmmaker, screenplay writer, and of course, actor. She stars in Succession on HBO, incredible series. You've been watching that one, Errol? I haven't, no. I, I don't have a television. Well, you've, you've spent enough time working around the Murdochs in your career. You'd um, Yeah, mate, don't need any soap opera for me, mate. Maybe for, for you uh, regional journalists, but for real journalists like me, mate, I've, uh, I've, I've done this stuff. Well, it's all there now on HBO or Binge or wherever the hell you're getting it, Foxtel in Australia. Some people are you know getting it through um, you know more unorthodox means. But uh, great program, and um, she's actually been kind enough to be interviewed by us today. Now, she also is the co-host of a countercultural podcast, quite a popular one in the shape of the Red Scare podcast. It's actually quite interesting stuff. Yeah, very uh, anti-establishment. And, uh, you know, big, uh, uh, I guess you'd say, bastion of free speech in the podcast realm, the Red Scare podcast. Now, Dasha has made it clear on her podcast over the years that she actually dislikes Australians, like a lot of New Yorkers do. There's plenty of us over there, and we love talking about ourselves and getting drunk and getting rowdy. So very kind of her to be interviewed by us. And um, also, uh, as you'll hear in this interview, very kind of her to be patient with us as we uh, ask her questions about the indie film industry, which we know a little about. The last indie film I watched was The Nugget, starring Eric Banner. It certainly has nothing on her new movie, which is out soon, The Scary of 61st. It's got uh, rave reviews already, and it'll be out in Australia over Christmas. So please enjoy this interview with Dasha Nekrasova. Welcome back to the Batuta Advocate Radio Show, recording live here from downtown Batuta in the old city district, Desert Rock FM Studios. You're joined by myself, Clancy Overall, and of course, Errol Parker, editor-at-large. How are you, Errol? I'm all right, mate. Good morning. Yeah, it's, it's going all right. Silly season's here, starting to heat up, plenty of rain, so uh, everyone seems to be happy. Mm-hmm. We are quite happy too, I guess you could say, um, you know, a lot of farmers out there bringing in a harvest, you know. As long as the farmers are happy, mate, the country's happy. Cattle prices are good, beef prices are good, so long as China's still going to keep buying that off us, mm-hmm. uh, things are, we're doing all right. For the time being. We've had a bit of a coup of our own here at the Batuta Advocate in the, the shape of today's guest on the podcast. Very, very lucky to get our uh, interview locked in with today's guest, Dasha Nekrasova. Hi. Thank you Thanks for joining so us. Big fans of your stuff, big fans of the podcast that, that you run, Red Scare. You've been described um, in a similar kind of uh, description that you get as we get of, what was it that we read there uh, in our research was that you are a hero, an icon on certain quarters of the internet, which is basically how people describe us as well. So, lovely to meet you, and thanks for I have, yeah, Thank you. Thanks for having me. Now, an interesting thing happened this week in, in Australian media where a um, one of the major TV networks paid a million dollars for an interview with Adele. What? And, yep. Yeah. She's English pop star. Yeah, yeah. And... Uh, the, they sent an entertainment reporter who looks and sounds exactly like you imagine right now over to London to interview her. 
and uh, Adele walked out within 10 minutes when it was revealed that he had not listened to her album, which is just so classic. Wow. Classic Australia. (laughs) (laughs) But luckily, your distributor was kind enough to send us a screener, which I watched last night, of your new film, Scary of 61st, and I thought it was such... A breath of fresh air. I mean, like how it—it it was almost like it was filmed on like a sixteen millimeter. It just had this really uh, warm, but also very familiar, but retro feel to it. Did you start out to achieve that when you started to make it? Um, yeah. I mean, I did shoot it on sixteen millimeter. Oh, well, there you go. No, well, I just thought like in in this day and age where everything is. It's digital, and you can just put a filter over the top. It's 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 actually quite refreshing to hear that there are still films being made in sixteen millimeter. Thank you. Yeah, I don't believe that you can make digital really look like sixteen with, with intense filtration. Yeah, we can put a man on the moon, but we can't make a digital camera look like sixteen millimeter. Mm-hmm. Now you are a director and star in this film that you've put together. How did you put this together? At- you know, before that, how did you kind of rally the people around you that you needed to get this done? Because our understanding and our following of you over the years, you've been some sort of a commentator and now it's a, a, a filmmaker. Have you made many films before this one? No, this is my first feature, but I was an actress prior and had acted in a bunch of low budget movies Yeah, that often are made sort of collaboratively. So I've worked, you know, in film and so knew a lot of people in my my cinematographer Hunter Zimney I had worked with before prior on like as an actress Maddie my co-writer I've known for like a decade basically and we're all sort of in this like New York filmmaker milieu so my sound guy is like someone else that I've known for years so they were like accessible yeah yeah in your opinion what draws creative people to New York I mean you know from our perspective, you, you know, if you, you want to get into an, in, into film and television in a big way, then you go over to Los Angeles. But there always seems like there's like a, a, a splinter cell of a really deep and burgeoning creative scene in New York. So how, what makes New York different to anywhere else in the world? I don't know. I mean, I lived in LA for a, a, a long time before coming to New York. I lived in LA for about five years and found it very challenging. In New York, I just felt much more... I don't know, maybe because there's a lot of like gay guys or Jewish guys, um, <laughs> Jewish people in general. I have, yeah. you know, I mean, I'm Eastern European, so there's more of like a shared cultural understanding. It just feels more like my rhythm. Yep. I can't, you know, a lot of people are drawn to New York for a lot of different reasons, but that's for me, it just is a, is a has been a better fit. Now, you, you're talking about the kind of uh, melting pot of kind of film and creatives that you know in New York and how they were accessible and, and that's how you got this movie moving. What I want to talk to you is about the, some of the themes that, uh, that are within your film. I mean, I'm very, very excited that you, you're, you're touching and playing with all this stuff, almost like this Epstein fan fiction. Uh, how does it feel to be in an industry that is an arm's length from that kind of story and then also telling a story about that. You mean because of the pedophilia? And yeah, and just because of New York and, and, and how he's around and a lot of people in film and cinema kind of had things to do with him. I mean, it's people would be scared to make a joke about that at the Oscars. 
Yeah, like we're only going off what Ricky Gervais has had to say because that's really <laughs> the only thing that makes news here, you know, is when someone, you know, speaks out of school, really. I made an indie movie, so... Yeah, yeah, it's, a, it's an indie movie, so you're not worried about um, having, to, having to deal with friends and, and the like that might, might have actually been on the boat yeah. or been on the plane. Yeah, I don't know anyone who's been on the Lolita Express. <laughs> That's, I'm worried about hurting their feelings. <laughs> not worried about hurting their feelings. Yeah. Uh, I was going to say, for years, we, I've followed you on the Red Scare podcast that you, that you host with co-host Anna. And seeing you this year on um, Succession, that was similar to the last question I asked. It's like you kind of um, dominate the space online as a commentator on with a podcast that really challenges the establishment, particularly the, you know, corporate creative world. How does it feel to kind of now be, you know, on these major productions? I mean, I know your film's independent, but something like uh, Succession is, you know, quite uh, probably surrounded by a lot of people that would be challenged by some of the things you talk about each week. Well, Succession is primarily UK-based. Right, yeah. Even though it's a bunch of Americans and English people who are pretending to be... Australians and down here it's it's, it's a deeply offensive series down here. I mean. <laughs> you mean Australians pretending to be Well yeah, Sarah Snook. Oh yeah, yeah. 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 Is. But uh, uh Rupert like, Murdoch was our claim to fame and they've turned him into a oh, Scotsman. Okay. Yeah. Right, right, right. Our, well and succession has its own sort of, you know, critiques of the creative yeah. corporate class and the corporate class at large. I don't think it's like that much of a it's not like i'm on like handmaid's tale or something you know and i've been a fan of succession since before i was on it and feel pretty i don't know i think everyone really liked me because i was a delightful well-mannered actress yeah and not you know <laughs> i'm not always like a rabid provocateur everywhere i go okay you know, yeah. I'm multifaceted yeah we've um we've really had to tone it in when we start meeting people from the top end of town as well with the batuta advocate we just got to rein it in behave and and that's all part of the game, right? But now, what are you feeling and seeing now with the um, with your your film you've made? What would the genre that people have kind of um, put on this, and what would the genre that you would have put on this be? It's a horror movie. Mm-hmm. It's like a psychological, psychosexual thriller. Yeah. I guess. Obviously, it's very funny, but I don't know if I would call it like a horror comedy because that just has different connotations that don't really apply. Yeah, not like Scary Movie or one of the great horror comedies. It's a thriller? Is that another term you'd put on it? Yeah, 100%. Like, you really have to be engaged in the story to really understand it, and it draws you in. Mm. It's But, like, in terms of film, it's, it's, it's quite different premise. Did you ever have any doubts about sort of basing it around Jeffrey Epstein, or, or was this just an absolute... Like, like once you had the idea, you just went for it. Yeah, we always knew it was going to be about Jeffrey Epstein. That was kind of the fetal idea. Yeah. Of, you know, so then it was just about figuring out, yeah, how to tell a story. It wasn't an afterthought. I yeah. Guess. yeah. I, like, only if only there was like a notorious pedophile billionaire who's <laughs> died in jail that I could. <laughs> <laughs> no real point yeah. making a fictional version of that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Was yeah. it great fun making it as your first kind of feature? Was it was it great fun? Uh, production was fun. 
but stressful. Pre-production was pretty stressful. Cutting it with Sophie was fun. But in general, there was a lot of like, you know, making indie movies is really hard. Oh. Um, <laughs> so there was a lot of like stressful parts to it. Yeah. That were not great fun. Yeah. Okay. I mean, with your earlier stuff, you know, I'm, I'm guessing a few short films in the mix there. What, did you ever see yourself knuckling down and doing something like that? Did you ever see yourself doing a something so stressful or did you always envision it would be like what you were kind of dreaming about? Was there anything shattered in making a feature-length film? You know what I mean? Like, as a young writer, you think you're just going to be on the beat chasing stories and then you end up in a newsroom and only doing late-night shifts. Was there anything, was like with the rom- romanticism of making a feature-length, you know, w- was there something that kind of changed there? No, I don't think I had any delusions about what it would be like because I had acted in so many yeah. low budget in indie movies and stuff. Which, yeah, so I was well acquainted with with the challenges. Yeah. And have you got any? Have you got any plans? Do you reckon you could get a feature done a, a year from moving moving forward, or, or what's what's the plans from here? I mean, I made this one so quickly. Mm. I started writing it in September, shot it in January of twenty twenty. So I think it would be nice to just work a little meticulous, a little more meticulously and with a little less pressure on myself. So probably not like within the year, but maybe in 2023. Yeah. Was this a big pandemic uh, rush of inspiration? Was it one of those kind of, was it one of those kind of um, projects where you were, was it, was lockdown play any part and you sitting down and, and, and putting this together? As you said, September, 2020. No, no, no. September, 2019. Oh, okay. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. Because Epstein died in August of 2020. Yeah. Or of 2019, sorry. And then we started writing it in September and then shot it in January, right before the pandemic, yeah. Yeah, because we've basically been in one giant kind of lockdown because we had the bushfires before the virus. So basically everyone's been indoors since 2019, so. Well, it's penal colony, so you guys are used to it. Yeah, and we love being legislated, so that's also (laughs) Yeah, your favorite thing. Yeah, it's... um, it, it, it is interesting watching the fringes of society trying to protest against these rolling lockdowns and pandemic bills because there's not many of them. Like, <laughs> we definitely don't have a tea party pushing back. It's more like... No, we just have... Like 150 people. A huge government, which is like, stay home and we'll pay your entire wage for two years. It's like, okay, <laughs> goodbye. Yeah, we cured poverty for one year, but now we're back. Thank you for joining us. We, uh, we know you're on the junket. It's been great speaking to you. And, and all the best with this film. And we look forward to more from you. All right. Thank you. Very nice to meet you.